You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. At the same time that their risk for death or injury from preventable behaviors increases, the adolescent male's use of the healthcare system decreases. That is why it is vitally important to understand how factors such as masculine beliefs, parenting communication, beliefs about physicians' capabilities, and insurance status influence the healthcare use of adolescent males. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and joining me from Baltimore, Maryland, is my guest, Dr. Arik Marcel, Assistant Professor at the Johns Hopkins University's Department of Pediatrics and the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Welcome, Dr. Marcel. Thank you. Dr. Marcel, in your recent article published in Pediatrics, you ask whether masculine beliefs, parenting communication, and insurance status influence healthcare use among male adolescents. The answer for all three was yes. Let's talk about these factors. How do masculine beliefs impact healthcare use for this group? We found that those boys who hold more traditional beliefs were less likely to use, to, to have had a physical exam for routine maintenance, preventive health maintenance in the following year compared to boys who held neutral beliefs about what it means to be a man. Can you give an example of of what those beliefs would be? One example is boys were asked to respond to a number of different questions on a scale, and each of the questions together composed the total scale. An example of one of the questions was whether it is essential for a guy to get respect from others or that a guy is always ready to have sex. And their responses varied in terms of um, whether they endorsed these or not? Correct, correct. And the, the score for each of these items are summed into a, a scale. Those boys who scored higher, the total scale, by definition, had held higher traditional masculine beliefs, and those boys who did have higher beliefs were less likely to use routine health services. What did you learn about parent-teen communication with regard to the use of healthcare services by males? That was an interesting finding. What we found that boys who spoke with both of their parents or who reported having spoke with both of their parents about reproductive health were more likely to have a routine physical in the following year compared to boys who did not have any discussions with either parent. So that's very empowering for parents um, to be made aware of that. Definitely. And the findings about insurance status were not surprising, were they? No. The standard types of studies that look at access to care and barriers to care for teenagers tends to focus on issues like health insurance. And so we, we do know that boys and teens who have insurance are more likely to use services compared to those that don't. In this study, we were interested to look at the same factors, but other types of factors that are potentially changeable. It's a little bit harder to change one's insurance status. Um, It might be possible to change how parents talk to their sons about health and or how boys feel about what the role of a man and what a man can do for himself in order to stay healthy. Another belief that might influence their choice would be how they view physicians. You've questioned whether adolescent males view physicians as potential sources of help for risk behaviors and mental health. Yeah, and that was a separate study where we posed that question. Part of my interest in looking at that was whether there were gender differences in adolescents' beliefs about physician effectiveness around different types of issues. And not a surprise. I mean, there really wasn't much difference between what boys and girls thought about it 
and or their intentions to use services, but in reality we see girls tend to use services more than boys, especially as they get older. Were you able to get at how they did perceive physicians, what they were thinking, why they didn't think that was part of the role of the physician to address these things? The specifics around that is really the basis for some future studies. I think part of it is related to whether they thought physicians are effective, but I think Part of it also is related to who they go to for help and that physicians are not necessarily the first people that they go to for help. A follow-up study, we looked at exactly that. Who, you know, Where does the physician fall in, in a help-seeking kind of paradigm? And for most teenagers, either their parents for what we found physical health problems were, who they go to for help, and then peers or maybe siblings for more personal types of issues like if they're planning to have sex, it makes sense, they may go to their peer or their partner for that kind of information, or if they're using cigarettes and have questions about that and how that might impact their health, they're, they're less likely to go to their, their parents around those issues, and, and they don't necessarily see the doctor as being effective for that type of issue. Well, knowing this about boys, I would think would be good information for physicians in terms of their role. And if they introduce these subjects, if they bring them up either to give information or ask questions, then that might open up the minds of these adolescent boys to the possibility that the physician could help them out. The majority of these topics are relevant for both boys and girls. I think where the issue lies for the adolescent boy and where the physician has a strong role is to help the young man understand why as he gets older, it's still important to continue to see the physician. And if there's a transition of location where the boy is going to go, let's say he'll graduate from a pediatrician to maybe a family practice doctor, an internal medicine doctor, to primary care provider to find adult providers who are attuned to young adult health issues, who they know and have confidence that young man will have a similar experience as they have had for, you know, for the years that they've been in, in continuity of care, as well as to provide some anticipatory guidance to the young man about the kinds of issues they should be thinking about as they get older, especially related to what they might know already about their family um, health history. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Arik Marcel of Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Marcel, in another study, you asked adolescent boys to tell you about the priorities in their lives. What did they tell you? For that study, we were interested to understand whether or not reproductive health issues matters to them. And rather than Starting with our interest, um, we really wanted just to conceptualize from the boys' perspective what are their priorities in general and, and whether health um, matters. And this was an urban group of young men who all were in school, but you know were from various backgrounds and socioeconomic level. Not a surprise. They prioritized their family and their future which included education, um, employment as their top priorities. And health at times is mentioned, but it wasn't necessarily one of their top priorities. And um, other kinds of health domains like preventing STDs or pregnancy prevention, once we started to ask them about health priorities, um, started to come into the, into the mix. 
So health wasn't originally listed by these kids, but when it was suggested, they did recognize that health is a priority. Yeah, and they see that if you're not healthy, you can't meet these other, you know, top priorities, helping one's family, working, getting a job, going to school. Um, It'll definitely interfere with one's life. When asked about health issues in general, the boys said that a male probably needs less help with his health as he gets older and has more experience with illness because he becomes better equipped to handle it on his own. This is an interesting finding as it relates to your work on the boys and their use of health care services. Yes, you know, I, I think it's part, it, it kind of falls into this culture of the role of the man and a little bit about what's acceptable for men to do related to asking for help, talking about problems. And you know, I think that quote really echoes a little bit about the limitations of men and, and acceptability of men to really address health issues. And it's part of our challenge to figure out how to work with young men to help them understand that they do have places where they can go. They, there are resources for them that can, they don't have to deal with these things on their own. And it's so important because boys and girls use health care services in similar numbers until adolescence. And this seems to be the worst time for boys to drop out, if you will, because the majority of male adolescence morbidity and mortality is preventable. And it also peaks between, you know, the ages of 15 and 24, 29. So it's probably the worst time for them to lose health insurance because it's the time where they probably need access and connectivity the most. And when boys of those ages do need to utilize the health care system, where do they go for services? I suspect a large proportion go to the emergency room, and it's injury-related after the fact. So, you know, there may not be the access to just either regular preventive type of visits, you know, what have you beforehand. So it's not preventative and it's very expensive. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest is Dr. Arik Marcel of Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Marcel, what are some of your recommendations for keeping adolescent males involved in the healthcare system? You know, I think part of the structural issues is, is still is around this issue of insurance, trying to think about similar kinds of systems that women have that open them up for insurance opportunities as they move from child health insurance coverage um, into young adulthood. There's Medicaid and family planning insurance that they have access to that men don't. Like I said, some states do have uh, Medicaid waivers that men are able to have access to, like California, but it's not something that's universal across the country. So I think as a nation, we need to be thinking about how to help support um, young people um, who are not in college, whose parents who are maybe working but not working full-time and don't have full benefits, and who are in transitions between school, college, and or other systems like foster care, et cetera. And beyond insurance, because even if they are insured, there are other issues that will keep them sometimes from um, seeking help. Right. And I think there, you know, as a country, helping young people, especially young men, understand what are important health issues for them to, to get help for. Changing how we socialize young men away from the healthcare system, away from medicine, away from um, just care-seeking and talking to others about 
you know, personal issues. I think that that's a more challenging intervention, but it's something that families and parents can do better, I think, at an individual household level to talk with their sons about health and to engage fathers and mothers in these types of conversations with their children and particularly their sons. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Kathleen Margolin, and my guest has been Dr. Arik Marcel, Assistant Professor at the Johns Hopkins University's Department of Pediatrics in the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Thank you for the interesting discussion, Dr. Marcel. Thank you for having me. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.